Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you right now on the line with us is our old buddy, Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent work, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. GregPalast.com, P-A-L-A-S-T.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. Greg, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Tom. So, Greg, over the last couple of years here on this program, as, as a fairly regular, in fact, I think you're probably our most regular contributor, you've been educating us about the yeoman's work that Chris Kobach has been doing to make sure that uh, black people can't vote, young people can't vote, old people can't vote, Hispanic people can't vote, uh, Asian people can't vote. You've got a problem with that, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. And that's pretty breathtaking. But now it turns out that he's got his little pinkies involved in the census. Do I have this right? Yes, that's exactly right. You know, I, I've, I had to jump Chris Kobach to talk to him the first time. He's always hiding from me. I had to pretend to be a local reporter, you know, kind of cheap disguises and the whole bit. But then he started calling me trying to win me over. He's no fool, Harvard, Yale, Oxford graduate. Um, and he told me that he was the one who put that little idea in, um, in uh, Wilbur Ross's head. That's our Secretary of Commerce, our doddering 80-something Secretary of Commerce billionaire, that you ought to ask about this, your citizenship status or citizenship status of those in your home on the census. And so uh, Ross put it, sent it down to his experts who said, oh, you know, if you ask that question, according to our calculations, this is Ross's own census expert says, we will lose 6.5 million Americans from the census, mostly Hispanics. And Kobach said, yeah. And so that's, when, that's what just went to the Supreme Court yesterday. It looked like the uh, right-wing uh, majority of the Supremes are going to endorse putting the census question about your citizenship on, uh, on the census. Now, I know we've talked about the privacy of the census. That's something under something called U.S. Code Title 13. You go to the census website, they'll tell you all about that. What they won't tell you about is a memorandum to Eric Holder from the Justice Department saying, well, there's also Patriot Act 
Section 215, which says that the census information can be used for investigating non-U.S. persons. In other words, if you put down aliens, legal or otherwise, uh, now legal may be a U.S. person if they have a green card, but if you are suspected of being a non-U.S. person, the census information can be used. That's from a 2000. And Robert Ross just turns the census information over to ICE and boom, they start dragging yeah, people well, out of their I, houses. Beyond, I think it goes beyond ICE. I mean, uh, in fact, Kobach has been straight up front about why he wants to question on the census. In fact, they used it at the court and it kind of passed over a lot of people's heads. They said we need this question to enforce the Voting Rights Act and the National Voter Registration Act. Now, wait a minute. How does that census question help you enforce the the Voting Rights Act, the answer is that these laws require that the voter rolls be accurate. And from Kobach's view, that, reme- that means removing the two million aliens that he said are registered to vote in America. Well, from, from the time he said that until today, there have been 93 federal prosecutors throughout the Bush administration who were looking into this. There have been millions and millions of dollars spent by state after state after state looking for, quote, illegal aliens on their voting rolls. And to the best of my knowledge, they haven't found more than about 10 of them in the last 10 years. Yeah, not about four, I'd say. But uh, you're talking about facts, Tom. You got to get this. Is, we're post fact now. Right. Okay. This is about fear. Okay, that's what they're selling us, fear, that there's aliens on the voter rolls. Right. And according to Kobach, they actually, one million voted for Hillary Clinton. That was his right. statement. Right, and, and Trump says it was three million. No, I, I've got that now. Now, the, the, the argument, Greg, the wonky Democratic argument, Democratic Party argument yeah. against putting this question on the census is that, you know, say you've got a town, and out, you know, Westminster, Wyoming, right? So we'll just make up a town. And this town has a population that's like 30% quote, illegal aliens, people who are undocumented workers. And again, it's unlikely that there's any town that's that high, but let's just say it is. The census, let's say the town has 100,000 people and 30,000 of them are not citizens. Right. If, if those 30,000 people don't answer the census question and say, yes, I live in this town, the federal support for that town's schools is going to drop by 30%. The federal support for that town's roads is going to drop by 30%. The federal support for that town's fire department and everything else is going to drop by 30%. You know, the availability of, of food stamps, and all, all, I mean, all this stuff is just going to go away. And, and not just that town, it's going to impact that county, it's going to impact that state. And that's just not right. I mean, that's basically been the Democrats' argument up to this point. Are you taking yeah, well, it w- way beyond that? Yes. Well, let me mention another fictional town, Los Angeles, where I am. We're going to lose a congressman. It's that simple. Six states, New York, Illinois, California, Florida. Um, the six states that will lose the lose a congressman are all, except for Florida, Democratic, uh, elite, uh, Democratic solid. So they know what they're doing. Okay? Wow. They know what they're doing. And they'll also lose money from the federal government. And it's not just illegal aliens. And by the way, uh, you know, when Jefferson put in the census and when Hamilton put in the census, the founding fathers, they want to know every person in the United States, not who's a citizen, not who's not. They want to know who's there. And a lot of that was to portion both costs for the Revolutionary War and, uh, and benefits and power. And it was about people. It wasn't about citizenship status, which is a new thing anyway. But again, you're talking facts. This guy's talking about slicing up the voter rolls. And and this is very important because it does, there is this exception 
If they think you're a non-U.S. person, they can use your census information. The other thing is called re-identification, something brought up in the amicus to the court by the Electronic Privacy um, Information Center, EPIC, which is, look, if you have census information, even if it's generalized, you can uh, use other information to identify particular people. Your privacy is shot to hell with this type of game. It's not bad if it's all about if it's what is your sex or income or something like that on the right. long form. The question is we know this will knock people out. And I want to point out something else, Tom. You already have a massive undercount of Hispanics, already a massive undercount in the census of black people, especially young uh, African-Americans and urban dwellers who don't get those census forms in the mail or don't fill them out or have other reasons why they decide not to fill them out. It's very much like the postcards. Remember, we talked about the postcards removing people from the voter rolls under cross-check. Right, the whole Cajun thing, yeah. Yeah, so they know who's not returning the postcards. I got the information on the radical difference. Like, if you're young and black and urban, there's a 500% difference between your returning a census card, and this is I got from the census, than uh, a white suburban homeowner who's older. There's a 500% difference. So we're already massively undercounting the minority population. California, New York, Illinois are already losing, have already lost members of Congress and funds because of the current really horrific ancient system of using mail and, and knocking door-to-door. They don't knock door-to-door in many urban areas. Let me tell you, that, that's, right. that's more mythic. Suburban areas get covered. So we already have a massive undercount. This expands it. And by the way, the Justice Department and Homeland Security did use census information to track Arab Americans during the Bush administration after the Patriot Act was passed. And guess who came up with that system of tracking Arab Americans using census and other data? Was are you going to say Chris Kobach again? Oh, you always know the answers. Oh my yes, God, Chris Kobach. So in oh other words, my God. this thing is is a. It's already been used for ethnic targeting. It's already been used to uh, attack the voter rolls, and this is what they're really aiming at. When they said we're using this to protect uh, the Voting Rights Act, that is the most dangerous phrase. I no, I, I, I get that. So, Greg, we're running out of time here. This is before the Supreme Court right now. I yeah. think they heard arguments on this yesterday, didn't they? Yes. So they'll have a uh, and and basically, except for Kavanaugh on one question by Roberts, um, the the right wing stayed silent, and everyone reads that as they're going to let the Commerce Department put this question on the Kobach question on. It was also uh, endorsed by Steve Bannon. There's your protector of civil liberties. Yeah. And um, by June 30. We should get the uh, the decision of the court, but it looks really bad. At this point, is there anything any of us can do? Yeah. Number what? one, if you get the census form, answer it. Just like when I tell people register to vote, right. you fill out that census form. Well, okay, I get you, you know sure encouraging encouraging you know African Americans, for example, to, to to fill out the census form. But if the Trump administration is going to use the census to go after people, I can't in good conscience encourage people who are here without legal status to do so, which we is really a terrible fight. thing to say on the air. But I mean, how else do you deal with that simple reality? Well, I think the, the reality is that we have to answer those forms and, and, you know, we have to fight them on the beaches and in the census forms and in the voting booth. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no other way to do it. 
fill out the form. Yeah, amazing. Fill out the form. And by the way, if you don't answer one question on the form, you don't go to prison. So you can ignore the are you a citizen question. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. All of us can I'm ignore mad. that question. In fact, if all, if, all the, if all the white people in America were to ignore that question, it might blow the whole damn thing up for Kobach, right? I think we started a movement, Tom. There you go. Greg Pallast, gregpallast.com. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold this is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is The Embattled Vote in America from the Founding to the Present by Alan J. Lichtman. This is from the introduction titled Voters and Non-Voters. On February 18, 1965, advocates for the voting rights of disenfranchised African Americans ordered a rare nighttime march in the small town of Marion, Alabama, part of the state's Black Belt, to protest the jailing of James Orange. Prosecutors had charged Orange with contributing to the delinquency of minors after he enlisted students in voter registration drives. Alabama state troopers responded to the protest by beating peaceful demonstrators with billy clubs and sending terrified marchers fleeing into the night. Some sought refuge from police violence in a nearby restaurant, Max Cafe. State troopers followed them into the establishment, however, and one of those troopers, James Bonnard Fowler, fatally shot an unarmed 26-year-old black voting rights worker, Jimmy Lee Jackson. Insisting that Jackson had reached for a gun, Fowler claimed self-defense. Eyewitnesses told a very different story. They said that Jackson was trying to protect his mother from police violence and that Fowler shot him deliberately and without provocation. While Jackson languished in a hospital for eight days before dying from his wound, Alabama officials issued a warrant for his arrest for the assault of a police officer. They did not arrest, indict, or discipline Fowler, or even release his name to the public. Fowler remained on the state police force, and a year later he shot and killed another unarmed black man, Nathan Johnson Jr., during an altercation at the Alabaster City Jail. State police officials were quick to purge both killings from Fowler's personnel file, but fired him in 1968 for assaulting his white police supervisor. In 2007, as part of a federal state effort to reopen cold cases from the civil rights era, Alabama prosecutors indicted the 73-year-old Fowler for murder. Two weeks before trial was set to begin in 2010, Fowler pleaded guilty to manslaughter and served five months of a six-month sentence. Fowler died in 2015, 50 years after killing Jimmy Lee Jackson. Americans were dying for the vote more than 175 years after the nation's founding because the framers made a consequential mistake when they drafted the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Constitution's first ten amendments. They failed to enshrine in these pivotal documents of our democracy the right to vote, not just for men or even only white men, 
but for any American. Among many enumerated rights that the government cannot abridge, the right to vote remained conspicuously absent and remains so to this day. All subsequent amendments protecting the voting rights of racial minorities, women and young people, the 15th Amendment on race, the 19th Amendment on sex, 26th Amendment on age, are framed negatively, stipulating not what the states must do to ensure people's voting rights in America's democratic republic, but what they cannot do. Jimmy Lee Jackson died, one could plausibly argue, because the political leaders who drafted these amendments perpetuated the framers' mistake of failing to establish an affirmative right to vote. Jackson died because white supremacists who controlled southern governments had circumvented the 15th Amendment's prohibition against denying the right to vote, quote, on account of race, color, or condition of previous servitude. They did so through patently discriminatory, although seemingly race-neutral, restrictions such as poll taxes and literacy tests. As the pioneers of modern democracy, the founders understood that the right to vote grounds all other rights, that it empowers Americans to become participants in government rather than mere petitioners. But it was their omission of voting rights that triggered a war over America's embattled vote that continues to rage in the halls of Congress and in the courtrooms of federal judges. Yet, as in Marion, Alabama, it has spilled into the streets, too, with life and death at stake and the ongoing struggle for people's right to consent in their governing. Opposition to voting rights for all Americans has revolved around three critical issues. Despite the revolutionary rallying cry of no taxation without representation for most of U.S. history, the American political leadership has considered suffrage not a natural right, but a privilege bestowed by government on a political community restricted by considerations of wealth, sex, race, residence, literacy, criminal conviction, and citizenship. The notion of privileged access to the vote survives into our own time, albeit in subtler forms than in the past. Since the early republic, proponents of a limited vote have waved the banner of voter fraud in earlier times to justify the disenfranchisement of supposedly corruptible people such as the propertyless workers, women, racial minorities, or immigrants. Today, it is the allegations of such forms of alleged election fraud as voter impersonation, repeat voting, voting by non-citizens, or balloting in the name of dead people that are used to justify restrictive measures like voter photo ID laws or draconian purges of registration rolls. Numerous studies have documented that such voter fraud is vanishingly small in recent elections, but the outcry continues as loudly as ever. Disputes over the vote have been intensely partisan, with principal justifications for voting restrictions functioning as thinly masked attempts to favor one party over another. From the end of Reconstruction through the early 20th century, for example, it was the lily-white Democratic Party that benefited politically from suppressing the African-American vote. In recent years, the partisan calculations have reversed as African Americans have become the most reliable of Democratic voters and Republicans have come to depend on the white vote. The book, The Embattled Vote in America by Alan J. Lichtman. There's a lot in the news here. I, I just wanted to share a couple of things with you that I think are like really, really important stories. This is actually an older piece from the New York Times that uh, somebody tweeted to me this morning. This is from last October, but it really is relevant right now. I have noticed, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the air, all of these new Twitter accounts that are being opened or Twitter accounts that were opened back you know, a couple of years ago during the last election and then went quiet for two years. And so they got a thousand, a couple thousand tweets and they got 30 followers. 
not all of these are actually robots. There, many of them are computer bots, but many of them are actually people who are paid to do this. Typically not inside the United States. That was the Internet Research Bureau in, uh, or whatever it's called, agency, I guess, IRA, um, in, in, uh, in, in Russia. But in Saudi Arabia, this is going on. Um, this from uh, Katie Banner, Mark Bazzetti, Mazzetti, Ben Hubbard, and Mike Isaac, uh, writing for the New York Times, the headline, Saudi's image makers, a troll army and a Twitter insider. Hundreds of people work at a so-called troll farm in Riyadh to smother the voices of dissidents. Uh, and, and additionally, they have a Saudi employee at Twitter whom Western intelligence officials suspect is spying on users' accounts to help the Saudi leadership. Now, this was all put together by a guy named Saud El Quantani. He was a top advisor to uh, Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman. He was fired back when Khashoggi was killed, but he was the strategist behind this thing. Um, they note in the, in the article, many Saudis had hoped that Twitter would democratize discourse by giving everyday citizens a voice, but Saudi Arabia has instead become an illustration of how authoritarian governments can manipulate social media to silence or drown out critics while spreading their own version of reality. Before his death, Mr. Khashoggi was launching projects to combat the online abuse. They, they talk about in the article how every morning he'd wake up and just be hit with hundreds of attacks from Twitter bots or from Twitter, you know, these Twitter accounts coming out of Saudi Arabia at him. And many of them in Arabic. Before his death, he was launching a project to combat the online abuse and to try to reveal that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was mismanaging the country. Um, you know, they note that uh, offices and homes in and around Riyadh where hundreds of young men hunt on Twitter for voices and conversations to silence. This is what the, this is the operation the Saudi government is running. Its directors routinely discuss ways to combat dissent, lists of people to threaten and insult, daily tweet quotas to fill, and pro-government messages to augment. This is, this is happening in Saudi Arabia. The Chinese are doing this. Uh, by the way, the Chinese just uh, yesterday sentenced a whole bunch of those uh, pro-democracy Hong Kong protesters to prison. Not getting much coverage. The, uh, but, you know, hey, it's, it's continuing. And then Kirsten Nielsen, before she was forced to resign, one of the big challenges that she had with Trump is that she was starting to get flipped out that Russians and other countries were going to hack our election next year. And the, her, the senior aides, Mick Mulvaney and others, said, no, you can't bring that up in Mr. Trump's presence because it upsets him because he doesn't think that his presidency is legitimate because he thinks or because people around him think or because the American people think that he was only pushed over the top with help from Russia. So he won't even allow a conversation about this. So we're just going to leave all the voting systems wide open. Russians, Chinese, please hack us. The Saudis, go for it. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. This is, in my opinion, something that qualifies as a national emergency. Uh, Lawrence in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lawrence, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I want somebody to explain to me how Mueller's team could not find collusion when, uh, or clear evidence of collusion between the campaign, Trump's campaign, and Russia, when the campaign manager, Paul Manafort, met with Klimnik, the oligarch that's such good friends with Putin, and turned over internal Republican polling data to him, and met with him not once, but several times to discuss strategy to get 
to the electoral college votes in the Midwest. Right. How is that not collusion? It looks like collusion to me, and we probably shouldn't even use the word collusion because it's not a legal term. It, the, the word is conspiracy to defraud the United States. And that certainly appears to me like a conspiracy. Mueller was taking the most conservative position possible, and he was also taking the position that he could not prosecute, uh, you know, in any case, he, he couldn't indict the president. So this is why Congress needs to have hearings. This is why exactly that issue, Manafort's conversations with Russian oligarch where he said basically we could use some help in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And surprise, those things need to be in front of the American people. This, the Mueller report is going to be read by a few thousand people. I mean, that's it. Literally, a few thousand people, maybe a hundred thousand people at the most will actually read it. It might sell a million copies. Only about 3% of people who buy books actually read the whole book. It's not going to be read by people, but the information, in it, as you point out, Lawrence, is absolutely startling. It's stark. It's amazing. This is why when Elizabeth Warren had a long airplane ride and she read the Mueller report, she was so shocked she came out the next day and said, okay, that's it. Impeach these guys. This is wrong. This is criminal behavior. We can't put up with it. And that's why, in my opinion, Jerry Nadler and the Judiciary Committee needs to convene an impeachment hearing. This is not necessarily to impeach the president. It's to determine whether there's enough evidence that the president is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors worthy of impeachment. And, you know, we may decide no, but we need to have that process. I'm with you, Lawrence. Thank you for the call. Doug in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Doug, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? I find some hypocrisy here when they go, we have to cut funding to Planned Parenthood because even though the money is, like, fungible, it goes towards abortion, so we have to stop that. But we give lots of money to Israel, and they have government paid for abortion. That's correct. And abortion's legal over there, and it's, like, single payer. The government's paying for it. So I really got to kind of question why we would give money to a country like that. And if you're worried about the fetuses... How many people, how many children have we killed and expecting mothers over in Yemen? Yes. It's a bunch of hypocrisy. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted to say. There are literally millions of people facing starvation in Yemen, most of them children, as a consequence a of genocide. this brutal, brutal war. Yeah, the, the, the Saudi Arabia has declared against them that we have been supporting. And that Trump just vetoed a resolution that passed both the House and the Senate with Democrats and Republicans saying no more money, no more weapons to Saudi Arabia. And his veto can't be over, I overturned. I believe Bernie actually sponsored that bill. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It, it wouldn't surprise me because he's been all over this, this issue with the Saudis forever. Doug, thank you for the call. Jeremy in Glendora, California. Hey, Jeremy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks. And I want to give a shout out to Louise. Uh, she's awesome. And I totally agree with her uh, concept. I think you said a couple of times that uh, she thought that uh, we should never have taken back the South after the Civil War had been ended. That well, it was rather that Lincoln shouldn't have fought the war. He, he should have said, okay, guys, see you later. But yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Same, I totally same agree with fact. that. Anyway, on that note, um, I, I would suggest, and I want to get your thoughts, uh, Joe Biden running uh, as a Republican, because it's a wide open field. He'd never have to apologize for any of his misdeeds in the past. And there's lots of money to, to scoop up. And it would give you know the ruling class Democrats a place to go. We know that they're dying to put their finger on the scale. John, 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 Joe Biden is going to announce that he's running as a Democrat. I mean, you know, come on. 
He was the Democratic vice president. He was I mean, a Democratic we senator. We, we got plenty of time, you know, and, and there's, it's a wide open field. There's only two guys running in the Republicans. And, and they're, they're in big, big need of someone with some sort of semblance of uh, law and order. Oh, so you mean, I, I took that to mean that you were taking a, a cheap shot at Joe Biden for, you know, some of his more conservative policies. But what you're suggesting is that I don't think it should be Joe Biden we, or any other Democrat. I think the rules don't apply anymore, just based on the last couple of years. You know what I mean? That's certainly <laughs> true. That's, but you know, but there there still are limits. You know, Joe Biden wants to be the Democratic president of the United States, and there's a chance that he will be. So well, uh, we used to say to our kids, you know, what what you want, don't always get. Yeah, there you go, John. Thanks for the call, <laughs> Steve in Topanga, California, watching us on uh, YouTube. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Why couldn't Jerry Nadler? subpoena the commissioner of the IRS, bring him before the committee, and have him bring uh, Trump's tax returns. And if he doesn't do it, or he shows up, he could hold him in contempt and put him in jail right there. He could. And, and I think Democrats, that that's next up. They got to play hardball. I agree. You know, I agree. Uh, Trump you, is already playing hardball. He's talking about treason. He's talking, right, I mean, exactly. you know, he's, he's, using, he's using the language of war, and, and the Democrats can't be I'm sorry, you got to bring a chainsaw to a knife fight, or at right. least a knife, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you, Steve. Michael in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi, Tom. This was brought up before as far as the 2020 election is concerned, but what if uh, uh, Trump is impeached and convicted, but physically refuses to leave the White House, and would John Roberts automatically swear in Mike Pence, and would we have two presidents? I'm kind of confused on that one. I think that John Roberts is going to do what the Constitution says, and I think it's extremely unlikely Trump will refuse to leave the White House. You know, in the last election, apparently it was the voice of, of Russia, who knows, but, you know, it came through uh, WikiLeaks, was saying to the Trump campaign, and maybe to Trump himself, because everybody expected him to lose, including Trump. He didn't even have a victory speech written. Was saying, hey, when you lose, start you know, yelling and screaming about voter fraud and election fraud and all this kind of stuff and, and refuse to accept the results of the election. And this, of course, would make Hillary Clinton look like an illegitimate president for the next four years, and, and it'll hurt her and her ability to do her agenda. I mean, they weren't as, they didn't fill in all the blanks like I just did, but basically that's what they were saying. And I think it's entirely possible that if Trump loses the election in 2020, he's going to be a sore loser. He's going to yell and scream like that. You're going to have a whole conspiracy Absolutely. theory about it. I mean, there are still people who think that Jack Kennedy only won in 1960 because Mayor Daley, you know, was uh, throwing voting machines in the Chicago River or Lake Michigan or something or whatever. <laughs> when it turns out that even if Chicago had gone entirely for Richard Nixon or Illinois had gone entirely for Richard Nixon, Jack Kennedy still would have won the White House. So, you know, these conspiracy theories die hard, right? They don't go down okay. easily. And Trump is... I know Bill Maher brings it up a lot in the show, and he's very worried about it. And I, I kind of listen to him, so I'm a little worried, too. But That Trump might not, not leave office. Reassuring. Yeah, in 2020, he mostly... Had, yeah. He, yeah. he won't walk out of the White House, and maybe he'll have his goons like, you know, Buzz Windrup in that book. And, and uh, it's a little worrying. If the United States is going to go down the road that Sinclair Lewis laid out and it can't happen here, that's when it will happen. I, I put it at about a 5% chance, but, it, but the fact that it's higher than zero is, it, it should be, you know, making us all a little nervous. Michael, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you.
Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I, I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom adjusted to fit you. That's why the X chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2 and 110 or 6'4 and 250. And now with the introduction of the X basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair's on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair xchairtom.com. Brent in Hilliard, Ohio. Hey, Brent, what's on your mind? You had some thoughts on the uh, five-hour town hall marathon on CNN? I did. I listened to the whole thing, and uh, so surprisingly, I came away and don't think that very many of them did themselves many favors out of all five, and I'm a Democrat, so I'm trying to be open-minded and maybe I'm overly critiquing my own side, which I've been guilty of before, but uh, Bernie Sanders, I thought, opened himself up to two new lines of attack. I thought Kamala Harris didn't come across as very solid on a lot of areas. I think a lot of the spots she was like, well, we'll leave that open for conversation. Amy Klobuchar seemed way out of her element, not out of her league, but out of her element. And that could be because of the nature of where they were at. The other two, uh, Mayor Pete and Liz Warren, I think did the best, but I fear that Pete Buttigieg has maybe exposed himself as not um, policy ready yet, especially right. when compared to Liz Warren, you yep. know, cause that was a big contrast between where he's at and where she's at. And I wonder if she, is going to suffer from the same thing Hillary suffered from, and that is being the over-empathetic mom figure. Any She's woman solid. is going to be characterized as that unless they start campaigning as Margaret Thatcher, you know, as, as the Iron Lady. If they take uh, essentially Betsy DeVos kinds of positions, <laughs> then people wouldn't say that. But, you know, Brent, you're echoing a, a sexist perspective, frankly. I don't feel that way. She's my candidate thus far. I mean, that's how I'm voting. I'm just yeah. fearing that she's going to be portrayed that way. And that, oh, that, of course you, you will. Know, that, I, yeah, but I don't think you can stop that. I mean, the majority of people working in the media are men. Probably the majority of men are sexists, whether they realize it or not, or whether they proclaim it or not. You're always going to see that. I mean, it's, it's and getting... there's no, nothing she can do to fix that, Tom? I think she just needs to keep being herself. I think I think Liz Warren is doing a really, really good job of being herself, and that's you know that's enough. I thought she did a great job. Me too. Her policy is definitely the most advanced for our side, so I, yeah. I love her. But I just I I thought she sounded very empathetic. I kept hearing it, and I kept going, "Oh my goodness! I wish I didn't hear that." You know, I think empathy is a good thing. The thing that Elizabeth Warren did that none of the other candidates did that I thought was so brilliant was just about every answer included a little mini story. And that storytelling is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. And she has figured it out, and she's figured out how to use it. And I, th I think in this era of reality TV and all this other stuff, the, her storytelling ability, I think, is, is going to uh, be the thing that, 
that, that takes it on. Ernie in Pleasant Hill, Missouri. Hey, Ernie, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. I got to thinking about the impeachment issue, and uh, I find myself wondering if the Democrats really understand the position they're in, because for people to get out to the polls, this is a very critical time for them. If they wimp out the way they're notorious for, they're going to lose credibility. So yeah. here's, here's, the, here's the debate, David. On the one hand, if the, if the Democrats wimp out and say, no, we're not going to impeach the guy, Donald Trump is going to go full bore on 14 angry Democrats, and this was an attempted palace coup, and they tried to remove me from office, and I'm going to take these guys down, and the Democrats are going to look like they're standing around holding hands or twittering their thumbs or whatever. On the other hand, if the Democrats try to impeach him and they can't get enough votes to remove him from office in the Senate, Donald Trump is again going to claim victory and say, see, well, here was another attempt. And it's kind of like, you know, heads I win, tails you lose. But what we're overlooking is that we need to know that our dog is in the fight. Yes. And the thing is, if they're so afraid of losing power, this may have the effect of them losing credibility and power. So they don't really have a choice because they're either in there fighting for me or they're just going to give it up. And do they really have a choice in the matter? I don't think so. Yeah. So put your head down and get in the fight. And, and I think they're going in that direction, and they're starting with the hearings, because that's where you have to start in an impeachment. David, thank you for the call. I agree with you. Aaron in Kentucky. Excuse me. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think Elizabeth Warren did the best in the uh, town halls. She really manages to frame her policies so that everyday Americans can really understand them. Yeah. The questions that Bernie got were just almost laughably dumb, in my opinion. The questions that Bernie got were clearly intended to produce a soundbite that could be used to take down Bernie. The headlines that they were putting out seconds after he was getting these questions seems like it was... Like seems like it was questions. a setup? That's what it seemed like to me. Well, they knew. See, they, CNN's producers selected the questions. You know, the, the students asked the questions, but the students had pre-submitted. There were hundreds and hundreds of questions that were pre-submitted. Yeah. The producers went through them and said, oh, well, you know, we'll, get, you know, we'll ask these. You know, and they chose the ones that they were going to ask. And the ones that they chose for Amy Klobuchar were, by and large, very, very soft. There are a number of areas where I think she's very vulnerable, and none of those areas were exposed. The questions that they asked of Bernie were, in my opinion, designed to take him out of the race. They were trying to get a Michael Dukakis, Kitty Dukakis moment there. Bernie, I thought his response was brilliant, but you know the clip of that that is being played on, on network television uh, doesn't include the part of his rebuttal or his response uh, you know, to the murderers and mass bombers and rapists question. Do doesn't include his actual response, which was, you know, this is a slippery slope when you start taking away people's rights to vote. Aaron, thank you for the call. Tom in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Tom, what's up? I wanted to kind of elaborate on what you brought up earlier on saying that we need to bring a chainsaw to a knife fight. Everyone knows that this 2020 election is going to be basically framed as un-American, anti-Christian socialist Democrats versus flag-waving Christian real Americans. That is how they're going to frame this, right? Yep, they already have. And they already have. And, you know, Americans, the premise here is that Americans don't do nuance. So when that woman who asked Bernie the question and, and she implied 
Bernie, you want to bring Soviet Marxism right. to America. Right. And in other words, Bernie, you're un-American, is what she's saying, right? That's right. Yeah, that, that question and, shocked me. Yes. No, it didn't shock me. I'm expecting that. That's going to be throughout the whole campaign. Yeah. And so we must respond, like you say, we got to bring a chainsaw to a knife fight and understand what this is going to be about. And so what we need to do is say, no, no, our opposition, the, the Republicans, they are the un-American ones. You don't have to say it that explicitly, but you have to imply that just like they're implying it. And basically... He invoked FDR's economic rights, but it just didn't pass, and he didn't elaborate saying that the GOP wants to privatize Social Security, you want to privatize Medicare, and that is un-American. Yeah. Right? Yep. Well said. And, yep. and, and, and hopefully we'll see Democratic candidates start to take names and kick ass like you're talking about there, right. Tom. Because right. if we don't, we're going to lose this next election. Tom, thank you for the call. Spot on. Doug in Carlton, Washington. Hey, Doug, what's on your mind? I got a chance with my wife to travel through the Southwest, Arizona, Southern California, that all winter long. Yep. I am not afraid to approach people and talk to them and such. And what I found is that they don't know about socialism. They don't understand. And it's such a negative term to them. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like the Democratic Party should just they really have to zero in on that because people don't understand. It's only going to be an issue, Doug. Lead, and it's... I always bring up the commons yeah. and ask them what would they do with the commons. Doug, socialism is only going to be an issue if Bernie is the candidate. And that's up in the air right now. So I'm not so concerned about that, number one. And number two, this whole, you know, I hate socialism stuff is largely isolated to people who are over 40 or 50 years old. John, thanks for the call. <laughs> Sharice in Polsbow, Washington. Hey, Sharice, what's on your mind today? Hi, um, this is really more of a question for the congressman, but I just thought I'd throw it out there anyway. Um, in the same way, I don't understand how big businesses don't lobby for universal health care to get that cost off their balance sheet. I don't understand why the banking industry, the housing industry, doesn't lobby for some sort of relief for student debt so that all those students out there, you know, adults out there with student debt can't get into the housing market. Because they're, they have uh, most of the student loan debts are are not, you know, they're not these these loans. In fact, I don't think any of these loans are written actually by the federal government. They're they're subsidized. They're they're backstopped by the federal government, but they're written oh. by banks. And and the average interest rate on student loans is six and a half percent. Yeah, you can't sell. Okay. You know, right now, uh, house mortgages are four percent. Right. Um, right. You know, I savings accounts are two percent. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. I thought they were more government funded, no, so no. that's my mistake. Yeah, they're yeah. private corporations. They're government backed. Um, yeah, but, uh, or, or at least some of them are. Many of them are. I think the majority of them. But yeah, that, and that's why they, they're, they're making a fortune. I mean, one and a half trillion dollars of student loan debt at 6% interest is a mind boggling amount of money every year that these guys are making an interest with no risk. No risk. You can't right. declare bankruptcy on these things, you know. And 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 if you try, if you walk away from them, they have the legal ability to go after your parents or after your children. Even if you die with student loan debt, they not only can go after your estate, but after your estate is exhausted, they can go after your children. Um, so I mean, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving from the point of view of the bankers. And 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 a lot of this is simply because of the Bankruptcy Act of 2005, um, the, the 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 legislation that that. Uh, 
basically made it impossible, illegal for, for uh, people with student loan debt to, to walk away from it through bankruptcy. And that's a law that needs to be changed. And it's a law that you know was promoted by a number of very high-profile Democrats. And it was, including uh, at least one who debated me on this program about it, and you know saying, oh, this is, you know, young people need to learn responsibility. And I'm like, really? And, yeah, and that's, that's where we're at. Sharice, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Tim in uh, Naples, Maine. Hey, Tim, what's up? Hey, how are you? Good. I, uh, that's good. I was um, calling uh, with the, about the congressman, but I'm glad you mentioned about the student loan stuff because what's going on is that um, uh, Warren, uh, you know, it brought me to think of Warren, and, she, you know, she got some gumption she, about, uh, she about does. Uh, the debts there, uh, forgiving the debts. Yep. I'm never sorry. And then also, let me go on. Um, she also was uh, endorsing uh, impeachment with Pelosi. It was kind of lukewarm on it. I don't think we need that lukewarm approach. I think we got to go all in on this. He says subpoena. And when they say that and they don't do it, he says there's punishments like censure. And the other one was impeachment. And I'm kind of curious as to how uh, is that really scary for these people? And are the Democrats going to go full throttle and do it? And additionally, are the Republicans going to be frightened by those threats of impeachment and censure. If you're subpoenaed to appear before Congress and you refuse to take the subpoena, and this is apparently happening today with, I believe, with the Judiciary Committee, then you can be held in contempt of Congress. And contempt of Congress is a crime for which you can go to jail. That's the thing. That, that is where Congress has their leverage, and hopefully they will use it. I, I, you know, I think that they should be rapidly working, moving, to put some of these people in jail who are refusing to respond. Hey, Tom Harbin here. You know, we've been talking on this program for years now about the benefits of CBD. And I just in the last few months discovered New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. It is the premium, organic, highly concentrated, pure CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's n-u-leafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, I wanted to delve in to uh, some more details about Medicare for All, uh, some of which are beginning to be discussed in the business news uh, uh, sites. And that's what will happen to the for-profit health insurance companies because, as Bernie Sanders has pointed out, they're, they're going to go the way of the dodo. They're, they're not going to be here anymore. What happened to all those people who worked at those blockbuster stores when Netflix came along? Uh, I don't know. They maybe found other jobs, burgers. Paul. I said maybe they're flipping burgers or something. Yeah. Well, here, here's, well, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Aetna, which uh, it, it was one of the largest health insurance companies, no longer exists because it was bought by CVS. 
So people who are questioning kind of like what, the other way around. What, what happened to these people, what happened to the people from Aetna? Aetna is no longer traded on the, the New York Stock Exchange. It was bought for $73 billion, and that all wrapped up by the end of last year. Uh-huh. I think if we talk about Medicare for All as having a big component as a merger and acquisition, and the shareholders will be compensated, and the people will move on. You know, the shareholders were not compensated when Netflix ate the lunch of Blockbuster. The shareholders were not compensated when the buggy whip manufacturers had their lunch eaten by the by the car manufacturers. This is this is evolution, Paul. This is just what happens. Uh, you know, things change. There, uh, Medicare will be expanding, or Medicaid, however it happens, uh, will be expanding radically. They'll have to hire lots and lots of people who know how to process claim forms. And a lot of those people right now are working for Aetna and for United Health care and whatnot, and there will be job opportunities for them. But, you know, times change. We just have to accept that. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, two, two points. I had hoped to raise this with the congressman, but when he said that anybody can get elected president, if Trump can get elected president, I thought, well, yeah, anybody can get elected if they got Chris Kovach and 50-state cross-check behind them. And, and, and hundreds of millions of dollars in billionaire money being poured into the elections down ticket that, that cause your voters to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. And Only this time, and, but by the way, I think the biggest story that nobody's talking about, George, that I've seen this week is that two days ago there was a, a, a small report in the Washington Post that a group of billionaires who last time around, and I'm assuming this is the Coke Network, although I'm, I, you know, I don't recall specifically, but that a group of billionaires who last time around did not throw any money at Donald Trump this time are totally on board. He gave them their tax break. He wa- they want more tax breaks. He's giving them deregulation. They want more deregulation, you know, more poisoned air, more poisoned water, more poisoned planet, more profits for them. And so they are going all in. They're going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars behind Donald Trump in the 2020 election. This is going to be a big deal. But anyhow, back to yeah, you, George. It absolutely proves the point that besides cross-check, that uh, if you've got Citizens United and McCutcheon and all that unlimited money behind you, and yep. if you've got a Republican Party that has assiduously for 40 years pursued governorships, Secretary of State's offices, and legislatures for purposes of gerrymandering and eliminating all Democratic voters that they can get rid of, yeah, you too can be president. And if you've got, oh, you know, thousands and thousands of bots and human actors on the social media from do- democracies like oh, Romania, Bulgaria, Russia, and Saudi Arabia, China, and, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you too can get elected president. The yeah. other thing I'd like to point out, and I beg all my Demo- fellow Democrats to take this to heart. This this is a lesson that we all should have learned long before 2016, and we learned it the hard way again in 2016. The longest-lasting legacy of any presidency is the judges. And I'm, I'm a Bernie bro. I was all in for Bernie, but I was happy to vote for Hillary when she got the nomination. I would much rather have had Hillary nominating judges than Trump. Yeah. So everybody out there who still has uh, a burr under your saddle about this, you've got to get over it. Yeah, I agree. On both sides, people have to get over it. Peter Dow wrote an absolutely brilliant piece, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, I think it was published in The Nation, about how, how he had been a Hillary person, you know, a Hillary partisan in the in the you know in the last election, and basically hated Bernie. And he, you know what he's looking at right now is that Bernie is the front runner in the Democratic 
uh, party or at least one of two and and he may well be our candidate and we need to get you know we need to get over that right uh, you you argue for your favorite candidate but at the end of the day, you know, being sabotaged by people who are still PO'd that Bernie had the temerity to challenge Hillary two years ago or four years ago is crazy. It's, it's just crazy. George, thank you. Um, Dave in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, uh, hi, Tom. Listen, I, um, I was 59 when Obama got elected and it was all hopeful and everything. And now I'm 70. And it seems like they've taken the Republican Party, tried to take him down. But anyway, I tell my grandchildren, and my, I told my children, uh, anyone can be president. And uh, am I going to have to change that to say, well, only if you're honest and if you show your tax returns? Um, you know, there seems to be there's going to be a disclaimer when I say anyone could be president now, because look at what we've got now. Yeah. With no accountability. Well, and, and there's a disclaimer just on the concept of the presidency now, because, you know, we've, we've got a guy who uh, lost by three million votes. Um, the the 80,000 votes that made him president spread over four states uh, may well not even be actual votes. They might have been hacked votes, and uh, yeah. you know, and 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 they and they may only exist as a consequence of voter suppression in those states. And uh, I mean, you know, the, and to the extent that some people may have gone out and voted for Trump because they thought that, yeah, the Pope actually endorsed him and they're good Catholics. Um, that was one of the things that was pushed out by the Internet Research Agency, the Russian troll farm, uh, was this meme that the, 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 the Pope had endorsed Trump. I mean, it's, it's like he is an illegitimate president. We just need to acknowledge that, recognize that, yeah. and point it out. And by the way, if the, if the tables were turned, if, if, if Hillary Clinton got elected the same way, the Republicans would be talking about it every single day. They would refuse to use oh the word God. president when they describe her. I mean, you know, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So, Dave, right, thank good. you. Spot on. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and Loving What You Do, a new book out by Ellen Ratner. On the line with us is Ellen herself. Hey, Ellen, what's going on in the world today? Well, I'll tell you, we're just talking about high crimes and misdemeanors. The president today said he would challenge any impeachment in the Supreme Court. He said there were no crimes by me at all, including high crimes and misdemeanors. So was so, he saying that he thinks that if the Senate votes to remove him from office, he can challenge that to the Supreme Court? I think he thinks he can challenge the impeachment in the House first in the Supreme Court and then, of uh. course, the Senate. But I think he, listen, he is not playing around and he thinks he can challenge anything in the Supreme Court. And, of course, he's packed the Supreme Court with his buddies. Right. And and uh, you got Clarence Thomas's wife was working for the Heritage Foundation. You've got uh, you know, Alito uh, made enemies with Obama. I mean, the, right. I, it, it, plus, you know, obviously uh, uh, Gorsuch, whose mother destroyed the EPA for Ronald Reagan and and uh, and Kavanaugh. Uh, you know, it's well, it's Kavanaugh. Just, we what, what do we even have to say about him? Yeah, that's yeah, it's bizarre. Whew. Okay, well, the Hispanic Democrats uh, want a path to citizenship by the Dreamers. Now, I have to tell you, I was in the uh, the room on a Saturday morning uh, on uh, 2010, when in fact the Democrats voted against the Dreamers. And so I'm not very happy about that. Uh, but Hispanics now are saying they have a path to citizenship. They want a path to citizenship for the Dreamers. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens on that front. There's There would be no way that that would get through the Senate right now, would it? 
Oh, gosh, no, absolutely not. I mean, you know, there's nothing, there's no bipartisanship. There's nothing that's going to get through the Senate. No, in fact, Mitch McConnell, the day before yesterday, he said, uh, I will be the grim reaper if I'm the Senate majority leader next, you know, in in 2021. Uh, He literally said, I will be the grim reaper. Not a single piece of legislation is going to make it, you know, uh, of Democratic legislation is going to make it through the Senate. I mean, what do you say to that? You don't say anything, right? Well, what he was saying was, hey, Koch brothers, make sure that the, the, the six or seven Republican senators who might be in danger get billion, hundreds of millions of dollars from you guys, you know, and all kinds of support. A helicopter the money in because we've got to hold the Senate. That's what he's saying. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, he's pushing for money for sure. There's and they're no going to do it. About that. They're going to do well, it. Well, we'll see. Let's hope not. Okay. Um, the uh, Trump uh, opposition uh, has to deal with Congress. Uh, he considers Congress partisan. He doesn't now want Don McGahn to testify, but he can't claim executive privilege, according to people I've talked to, because he allowed them to testify before the Mueller committee. That's so correct. I don't understand how he's now saying, oh, I'm not going to allow any of my aides to testify, former or current. He's, he's, he's employing a strategy, Ellen, that he used when he was in business. He would, he would uh, build a casino, for example, and hire somebody uh, to build all the uh, roulette tables. And they submit a bill to him for $10 million. And he doesn't have $10 million. He can't afford to pay it. So he, he tells them, sue me. So they sue him. So he then countersues them for frivolous lawsuit. Now you got two suits right. going through the courts. He drags it out for two or three years, and then the casino goes down. He declares bankruptcy, and everybody's screwed. He has been doing this sue and delay strategy literally his entire career. And he right. uh, his strategy here is that if he can push all these things to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court can delay them until after the election. Well, that's probably what they would do on a five to four vote because of course they have their meetings uh every week they're in session and they decide what cases they're going to that's correct yeah i i think that there's a very good chance that he's going to succeed in getting a lot of this stuff delayed until after the election and it that that's going to be this is the knife edge right this is going to be the thing that is going to define the next year is to the extent to which the supreme court is willing to participate in donald trump's you know sue and delay schemes well, I think that he's got the votes right now. That's unfortunate. I hope not. I hope that uh, John Roberts well, I hope breaks, right. breaks with like these Roberts guys. It looks like Roberts is going back and forth, thank God. I know. I know. He's, he's, he's equally concerned with his beloved Republican Party. I mean, you know, he did the work for George W. Bush in 2000 that helped win Bush v. Gore. Right. He helped write that brief that they submitted to the Supreme Court because he used to clerk for Rehnquist. He's, he's torn between his beloved Republican Party and the institution of the Supreme Court now that the court has his name. This, you know, 100 years from now, they'll be talking about when the Roberts Court the Roberts was. Roberts Court. That's exactly. right. And, and that has changed. That has recalibrated his thinking. But the question is, did to recalibrate it enough. <laughs> we'll see. We will see. All right. The CDC, that's the Center for Disease Control, which is actually run by somebody that I used to be on the board of uh, when I, well, I'm still on the board, but he's no longer uh, at, at in, in uh, Maryland. But the CDC has now declared 626 cases of measles across the United States in 20, at least 22 states. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
How are they, by the way, the, it was patient zero. Apparently the measles epidemic in the United States started with um, a Hasidic guy from, from Israel who came to well, the United States. Take, right, and yeah. who didn't take the vaccine. Right, and he was patient zero. And, and I understand in the Hasidic community there's a lot of people who are unvaccinated. And that's a measurable chunk of Israel's population. Well, today in the New York Times, a Hasidic guy said we ought to pay attention to science and we ought to vaccinate our children. So what else is up? Okay. Now, uh, I happen to be on the board of Reporters Without Borders, but we have just made United States 48th on the World Freedom Press ranking, mainly because of the kinds of things that Donald Trump and other people are saying about the press. Yeah. It's really quite unbelievable. And, and this weekend is the White House press event, and usually we know that Donald Trump isn't going to come, but usually he lets his staff come, but he's not even letting his staff come. Is that the correspondence dinner? Is that this weekend? The correspondence dinner, that's right. Whoa. I remember you invited, you know, we were your guests right. at the one where Barack Obama just that's peeled right. the skin off Donald Trump. I, mean, it was, I know. It was amazing. Ellen Ratner, my friend. Ellen, thank you so much for thank dropping you. by today. Great you having you. Tom Harvin here with you, and Glenn in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hey, Glenn, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, I had a question. On this collusion with Russia, did Hillary Clinton, did she not win the popular vote? Yeah, by three million votes. Okay, then how did they affect election? If she won the popular vote, Donald Trump won by electoral vote, so it sounds to me like there was no collusion. She just lost because of the way our system set up. Well, you can make that argument, Glenn. You can make that argument. The thing is that Donald Trump won by, I think it was 84,000 votes in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. About 20,000 votes in each one of those states, more or less. Each one of those states, number one, threw over 100,000 people off the voting rolls in the year before the election, mostly in minority neighborhoods. Number two, those were the three states that Paul Manafort reached out to a Russian oligarch and specifically said, we could use some help with these states. Number three, those were the states that were targeted in, in, uh, with uh, the, the, the uh, ads and with the bots and the trolls and whatnot coming out of the Internet Research Bureau or agency out of, out of St. Petersburg, Russia. And, and we don't know, you know, the, the, we know that Saudi Arabia has a troll farm that works. We don't know if, that, if the Saudi troll farm was working on behalf of Trump. Uh, we don't know about any other countries. We don't know if China was running troll farms then. I mean, there's a lot that we don't know. Mueller's investigation only looked into Russia, and it really should have had a much wider scope. It should have tried to figure out what, what happened in our election. But, Glenn, I, you know, it's, it, it, I, I'm very concerned about it. I think we all should be. Carson in Alexandria, Virginia. Hey, Carson, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Hey, Tom, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I will take a little bit of issue with we don't know whether or not Saudi Arabia uh, interfered with their troll farm on behalf of Trump. I think that's, I think common sense will tell you that they did, but that's, that's not my point. Uh, my point is, I think we could take a lesson from, I think his name is Frank Luntz, and the importance of semantics when it, when it comes to elections. I, I, I really wish, and for those who've already self-identified as democratic socialists, I think the, the ship has sailed. I, I feel like socialism and socialist is too much of a loaded word for the average American 
for for a Democratic candidate to label Carson, it is going to be a big lift. But if Bernie, if Bernie is the nominee, forgive my interrupting you, but we just have 10 seconds left here. Sure. Uh, no, I, I actually um, I misread that. We have a full minute left. If Bernie is the nominee, Bernie has already identified himself as a Democratic Socialist. He's been calling himself that for right. 50 years. So if Bernie is the nominee, we're going to have to deal with that. If Bernie's not the nominee, then we're probably not going to have to deal with that because no other candidate has come out and said, yes, I'm a Democratic Socialist. I, I much prefer uh, progressive capitalist. I think that's a great. Yeah, that was Pete Buttigieg's for, uh, phrase, wasn't it? I don't know whose phrase it was, but yeah. I think you're basically accomplishing the same thing as a democratic socialist. I just think, from a semantic perspective, it's going to be much more effective. Um, yeah. On yeah. A, from a, yeah, I don't disagree with you, Carson. But like I said, you know, if Bernie's the nominee, that's what we're going to have to we're going to have to deal with. Mike in Hope Sound, Florida. Mike, you got 20 seconds. What's up? I'll be quick, Tom. If they do an audiobook of the Mueller report, I'd like to see you read it as long as it's unredacted. Okay. My question was my question is, why are we talking about Supreme Court picks for a president who has twelve investigations? I believe McConnell's justification was there's an important election coming up. Yeah. Well, there you go. Except that it's Mitch McConnell who makes that decision. So I, I'm guessing that he will change his mind suddenly. He'll have an epiphany. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. It's an excellent point. I mean, the hypocrisy of it is an excellent point. And thanks, Mike, for listen to, listening to us on SiriusXM. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. It wasn't designed that way. It never worked that way. Without your participation, yes, you, without your participation, our democracy is weaker. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.